Well, good morning again, Warehouse Church. So we are uh, launching small groups in a week. And so a week from today, our first small group in homes for 2023 begins. And uh, we want to give you a chance to sign up this morning. So on your chairs or a chair around you, there is a small group sign-up sheet. And we would love for you to take a moment and fill it out. You'll see on there that we have six opportunities uh, throughout the week in different homes for you to sign up to become a part of a small group. And they're talking about everything from talking about the sermon to uh, talking about the, the, um, the TV series called The Chosen to experiencing God to the book of James. You've got so many different opportunities, so many great leaders uh, and so many great homes. And so we want to invite you, encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to sign up for a small group. Uh, you can do it one of two ways. You can fill out this card uh, before you leave today and drop it off with Michael Ellis at the Next Steps area. Uh, or in the basket right there um, by the, on the counter. Uh, you can also go straight to the Next Steps area and talk to Michael, and he's got sheets there so you can see who's in what group, and you can sign up that way. But we want to encourage everyone to be involved in a small group, and the reason why is because we believe that life transformation happens best in circles rather than in rows. And so we want everyone to be a part of a small group. And so I hope that you will uh, join us for one as well uh, starting this fall. Uh, I want to welcome you back to week two of a journey, our journey through the gospel of Mark. And so we're taking 10 weeks to uh, explore some of Mark's accounts of Jesus and the lessons that we can learn from them. And so we are diving into the gospel of Mark. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the Bible's broken up into Old Testament and New Testament. New Testament's, uh, I call it to the right. And so if you go halfway through the Bible and on uh, is the New Testament. And there's the, starts out with the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, these are the stories of Jesus. And so we're looking at the book of Mark. And uh, it's just gonna be, it's been a great time already. We're only in week two. We got a long way to go. And, uh, and so I hope that you are enjoying that. Uh, I want to let you know real quick before I forget that uh, every Sunday uh, we have a reading plan for you. So if you want to read with us through the book of Mark, uh, you can pick these up right outside on the counter, uh, right out by, before you leave. And, uh, and so we have these cool little reading plans that you can read along and read a couple, uh, read a chapter a day or a couple passages out of the book of Mark uh, every day. And uh, that's exciting because we'll all be reading together. And so you can pick one of those up on your way out today. Um, but right now, uh, I want to just—I want you to think about this. Have you ever been uh, in a boat or on a boat in the middle of a storm? Anyone ever been on a boat in the middle of a storm? So uh, a couple of you have. I have, and uh, and 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 let me tell you that it was uh, on my top ten list of most horrible experiences. It was one of my top ten, and uh, being on a boat in the middle of a storm was just a horrible experience for me. Uh, the boat was being tossed up and down and sideways, left and right, uh, and within minutes of the storm. Uh, all I can remember is that I was so sick, so, so sick, that all I wanted to do was curl up in the corner and die. Like, my stomach was sick. I know my face probably turned green. Uh, I was just feeling every motion. Every time that boat went up, I felt it. Every time it went down, I felt it. And I felt like I felt that for weeks after it happened. And it was just a miserable experience. And in today's passage that we're going to be uh, looking at, we're going to be joining the disciples and Jesus uh, in the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm, and they're on a boat. And, uh, and uh, if you have your Bibles, I just invite you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. If you've got the Bible app, go ahead and look it up. We'll also have the words on the screen. And uh, let's read together Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 31, 41. And here we go. It says, That day... When, Jesus, uh, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. 
in the boat, and there was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. He's in the back of the boat sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you so much for the gift of worship. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that in your word, there's everything that we need to live the Christian life. And Father, my prayer this morning is that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would remove the scales from our eyes, you'd unplug our ears, you'd soften our hearts so that we can see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for us. Because Lord, I believe with all of my heart that you have a word for every single person in this room, that you want to change lives today, that you want to speak transformation into every person here today. So Lord, would you come and would you speak to us through this passage? In your name we pray, amen. So uh, in these verses, uh, leading in the verses leading up to today's passage, just kind of give you some context, um, in, the, in the verses leading up to it, we see Jesus and he's teaching the crowds. And he's teaching the crowds from a boat. So he's in the boat, and the boat is probably anchored in a cove. And he's teaching from the boat to the crowds. And the crowds are all on the hillside of the cove. And they're all listening from the shore. And they're listening to every word that Jesus has to say. And it tells us, even in verse 34 of Mark chapter 4, it says that Jesus was using parables that he's using these stories that teach a lesson to teach the crowds about how he is bringing the kingdom of God to them and, how, and what the kingdom of God will look like. And so he's teaching, he's using these stories, and if you look back uh, in, the, in the passages leading up to this, he's using agriculture stories. He's using stories about farming and planning because that's the kind of people that were around and they would understand what he was talking about. That's what the purpose of a parable was, to use a familiar story to teach a valuable lesson. And this passage, though, that we just read, the passage that we read today, it's all about Jesus. Like, and I want you to understand that, that today's passage is all about Jesus, and it's all about how the disciples discover that Jesus is more than just a prophet, but that he is the Son of God, that he is the Holy One, that he is the creator and sustainer of all life. Like, before this moment, they knew Jesus to be a prophet. They knew Jesus to be a good man. They knew Jesus to be an effective teacher. They knew Jesus to do miracles. But in this moment, in this story, they discover that Jesus is so much more. And they walk away from this amazed at who Jesus is. And my prayer and my hope for every one of us today is that we will also leave here today amazed by who Jesus is. You see, here's something that you need to know today. You need to know that Jesus is more powerful and more wonderful than we often give him credit for. Jesus is bigger 
than anything we could ever imagine. Jesus is more powerful than anything we could ever picture in our minds. Jesus is more wonderful than we ever give him credit. And his work on the lake that day, his work on the lake that day was meant to open all of his followers' eyes, specifically disciples, but it was meant to open all of his followers' eyes to the greatness of who Jesus really is. But I want you to, to warn you that we have to be careful because this is a familiar text. Like we've read this text. If we've hung out with church at all, we went to Sunday school. The skit guys were talking about Sunday school, small groups, not Sunday school. Uh, we, we, if we grew up in Sunday school, we read this story. And we, we know, oh yeah, the story of Jesus when he calms the storm. And, and we're familiar with the story, but I don't want you to miss the power of this story because you're familiar with it. And it's also a passage that a lot of pastors and a lot of teachers use to make people uh, focus more on themselves and the storms in their lives rather than about Jesus and his greatness. Like, yes, this story has some truth to tell about how Jesus is with us in the storms of our lives, but it's bigger than that. Like, this is a story that reveals the bigness of who Jesus is. And too often, we read this passage and too often, we just think that Jesus is only there to calm our troubled waters, that Jesus is only there to calm the storms in our lives. But again, it's so much more. And I want you to hear this, and I'm going to say it another time, that this passage is not about us. This story is not about us. It's not a me-centered passage. The focus of this verse, of these verses is all about the power of God through his son, Jesus. It is 100% a Jesus-centered passage. And, and the good news is this. The good news is that when we begin to see Jesus the way the disciples began to see Jesus that day on the Sea of Galilee, as all-powerful, as all-wonderful, as amazing, as big, as huge, as God-like, when we begin to see Jesus as God, this passage will do more for you than just some nice little cliche feeling that, oh, Jesus can calm the storms in my life. It's more than that. Instead, if we will see this passage as it was written, we can, uh, this passage can put steel, literal steel in your spine because it will help you understand that Jesus, the God-man and the creator God is with you in your boat, so to speak, so that you can endure anything and everything that comes your way. I want you to see today that God, through Jesus, is so much bigger and so much more wonderful than we give him credit for being and so to help us unpack this and to help us understand this a little better, I want to look at three specific questions that are asked in today's passage. There's three specific questions. Two are asked by the disciples. One is asked by Jesus. And each question helps us to better understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish here. Helps us to understand that this story really isn't about us and our storms in life, but it's really about Jesus and how mighty and powerful he is. So the first question is the one that the disciples asked. It's the question, don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care that we're dying? The disciples in the midst of the storm wondered, 
if Jesus really cared about their situation. Because where was Jesus in the back of the boat sleeping, right? Taking a nap. And here they're dying or they're thinking they're going to die. And they ask the question, don't you care? Look at verses 35 through 37 with me again. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Uh, And so Jesus has been preaching all day. He's been in the boat. He's been sharing the good news with the crowds. And he's been doing it from morning to, to noon. And now it's coming into evening. And he says, hey, let's go to the other side. And after leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. And it says this word, this phrase, just as he was. And that's just to remind us that Jesus had been in the boat all day, just as he was. They took him with them across the Sea of Galilee because he was already in the boat. And other boats were with them. So there's some other boats, maybe some other folks were were with them in the boat, and they travel with them. And it says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up with water. And so we get this idea, Jesus had been preaching all day. It started, like I said, it started at sunrise. And he's in the boat and he's in the cove and they're preaching. He's preaching and he's teaching and people are, and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger as the day went on and they're listening. And when he was done, he tells the disciples, he look at him and says, hey guys, like I'm done. I'm tired. Let's go to the other side. Let's cross over the Sea of Galilee, likely inviting them for a bit of rest maybe a bit of escape from the crowds that had been there every minute of every day. Now, you got to understand something, though, about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was 700 feet below sea level, and it was like a basin that was surrounded by hills and mountains all around it. And, uh, and to the northeast, there was this huge mountain called Mount Hermon that uh, rises to about 9,200 feet above sea level. So pretty massive mountain right there in the midst of it. And, and sometimes because of all the mountains and, the, and, and everything that was going on and how low the sea was, there would be these huge uh, violent exchanges of warm and cold air that would blow across the sea. And it would create these huge squalls and these uh, torrential storms and these, these just violent storms would just come out of nowhere. And it would make it very difficult for small boats, uh, these small fishing vessels in Jesus' day. When these storms would come, it was like they'd come out of nowhere. There was no news, right? There was no weather channel that you could check and see how those storms were going to be that day. And it just came out of nowhere. And they would toss these boats around uh, just like little toy boats in the bathtub. And, uh, and so on, such a, uh, on that evening, such a great windstorm came that Jesus and the disciples, as they were attempting to cross the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes, and it says that the waves were breaking into the boat. Now, the boat was about four feet high, and so these wind, uh, these these waves are crashing over the four-foot-high walls of the boat, and the water is filling up. And I can just imagine the disciples, they're taking their hands, and they're scooping out water as fast as they can. Maybe there was a bucket or something that they used, and they're just trying to get rid of the water, and they're panicking, and they're freaking out because the boat is filling up with water. And the story reminds us how, of how even though Jesus invited the disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee, that even though Jesus invited the disciples to go with him, that they still weren't immune from the storms in life. And Jesus has invited some of you and many of you to walk with him through this life. And as Christians, we're not immune to the storms of life. 
And in a sense, it was as if Jesus invited them into the windstorm when he invited them to cross over. And I want you to hear this, that just like the disciples weren't immune from the storms of life, you and I, we are not immune to the storms of life. And someday, someday, when in glory, we will live trial-free lives. That that day, either when Jesus comes back or we go to be with Jesus, that day, when that day happens, we will no longer experience suffering or trials or storms in life. But if we're honest, the life here on life, our, our life here on earth, we need trials. Like, you don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. But we need trials in our lives. And you're like, well, Pastor Rick, why do I need trial in my life? Well, we need trials because trials drive us to God, right? Like, in the midst of our trials, it pushes us towards God. They serve as a chance for us to, to, uh, to walk by faith. That when we experience trials, we get to put our faith in action. Everything that we talk about on Sunday, everything that we sing about, everything that Waymaker, you're my Waymaker, you're my miracle worker, all of these things that we sing and talk about, we get to put into action when trials come our way. They, they have a tendency to reorder our priorities. They have a tendency to refine us and shape us. They have a tendency to wake us up to our need for God, that when you experience storms in your life, it wakes you up to your need for God in your life. Trials also make us complete, right? Like trials refine us like like refining, like fire does, and it makes uh, precious metals. Trials produce perseverance in us. They produce character in us and hope. Trials purify us. And during trials, guess what? I don't know about you, but when I'm in the storms of my life, I discover more about who I am, and I discover more about who God is. And, and, and so this is what the disciples were in. As their boat was being tossed around, and they were filled with uh, fear, they were in the midst of a trial in their lives. In verse 38, it goes on, and it says, but he, being Jesus, was in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. And so in the back of these fishing boats that they were probably on, there was always like this little lifted up spot uh, that you could see everything. You could see over and see everything. And there was a cushion on this like box that was lifted up. And that's where Jesus is. And it says that he's asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? In other words, Jesus, do you not care that we're about to die here as they wake him up? Because in this moment, the disciples felt completely helpless. And and you got to understand that many of them were fishermen. Like this wasn't their first rodeo. This wasn't their first time in a boat on the ocean or or on the Sea of Galilee. When When the storms came, they'd experienced them before and they knew They knew about the storms, and they knew what the boat could do, and they also on that night knew that they were outmatched. They knew that this storm was a bigger storm than they'd ever seen, and they knew that the boat was not going to survive, and that they were going to drown. They believed they were going to die, and so they went to wake Jesus up saying, don't you care, Lord? Don't you care that we're about to die? And I wondered to myself, what made them ask that question? Like what made them shake Jesus and wake him up? And the first question on their, on their heart is, don't you care? Don't you care that we're about to die? What made them accuse Jesus of being apathetic? Like, like what made them want Jesus to, to, to answer that question? 
And, and for one, probably because he was asleep on the back of the boat. Like, they're like, we're about to die, and look at Jesus. He's taking a nap. He's asleep. He doesn't care. He's, he's too busy snoring to care about our, what's going on in our lives. He, didn't, he doesn't care about us. But, but Jesus taking a nap or sleeping on the back of the boat, it wasn't a sign that he didn't care. He was exhausted. Jesus was tired he was human. He was 100% human and 100% God, and he got tired. And I don't know if you know this or not, but for me, uh, preaching two sermons on Sunday, by the, end of, by the end of Sunday around noon, I'm exhausted. Like, I've given all that I got, and I want to go home and take a nap. My previous church, I did three sermons in a row. And let me tell you, I napped every Sunday at that church because it took a lot out of me. And Jesus had been preaching since sunrise, and he hadn't stopped one moment. He had been preaching all day, all through lunch, all through the afternoon. Now it's evening, and he's exhausted, and he's tired, and he finds a moment on the boat on a cushion where he can take a nap because he was tired He'd been serving all day, and he had a long season of serving before that day, and sleep had been hard to come by, and he found himself sleeping. You see, here's the deal. God came from up there to down here. He put flesh on in the form of a human, and his, in his humanity, in Jesus' humanness, he was painfully tired, and he slept so much that a raging storm could not wake him. And now it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine what the disciples expected Jesus to do when he woke up. Like, they're just like, wake Jesus up. Like, we're going to die. Wake him up. And it was obvious that they didn't expect him to calm the storms because the Bible says at the end of the passage that they were shocked that he calmed the storms. So that's not what they were hoping for. When Jesus calmed the storms, but Matthew's account of the same story tells us that at least some of them said, Jesus, save us. Like they at least had enough to know that Jesus could save them. And so they wake him up hoping that he would save them. They wanted him to do something. And the only way he could do something was is if he was awake. But isn't this so often how we feel during trials? Like, I'm sure you're just as guilty as I am of at one point or another saying, Jesus, don't you care about what I'm going through? Don't you see the struggles that I'm facing? Don't you see how I'm hurting right now? Don't you see how so-and-so has hurt me? Jesus, don't you care about me? Like we've all asked that question. And yet here's what surprises me when I do it. Like when I do it and I do it and I've said those words, Jesus, don't you care about me? The thing that comes to my mind or surprises me is that I know so much more than what the disciples knew in this moment. Like, I know that Jesus was going to die on the cross. I know that he died on the cross for my sins. I know that he rose from the dead on the third day, resurrected. I know that. The disciples had no way of knowing that. It hadn't happened yet. I know about the cross they did not. I know that Jesus is the Son of God. Like, I know that to be true. They were still figuring that out. They didn't know that, but I know that. I know that, that He lives with me through His Spirit. 
Like, I know that because I've read about Pentecost, and I know that when Jesus uh, said, I'm going to send my spirit to be with you, and that happened on Pentecost, I know that to be true. I've experienced it in my life. The disciples hadn't experienced that yet. So I know so much more than they did about who Jesus is and about what he did on the cross and how he helps me to live this life through his spirit. I know all of those things, and yet I still... Ask Jesus, don't you care about me? The disciples knew none of that. And they find themselves in a desperate situation and asking the question, we know so much more, and yet we still respond the same way. Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you see what I'm going through? Lord, don't you know? I am struggling, and yet I feel like you're asleep. Now, we've read the Bible, and we know that Jesus cares about us. I hope that you know that Jesus loves you and cares about you immensely. In fact, his mere presence in the boat that day was evidence that he cared, that God cared enough to send his son to die on the cross for us, that God cared enough to send his son that Jesus taking on human form and flesh and experiencing fatigue, something that he had never done in his divinity, and yet he did, is evidence that God cares about us. But this was their fear. This was the disciples' fear talking. And this, is, this happens. It wasn't their best moment. Like, I'm sure a moments later, they're probably sitting around the campfire eating some fish and saying, man, can you believe what we did that night? Can you believe that we even asked Jesus if he cared? Like, I can't believe we did. He's the son of God. Like, like I'm sure they're sitting there after Jesus rose from the dead, and they're like, man, he, look at how powerful and mighty and great he is. And yet, do you remember when we asked that question? Like, it was not their finest moment. And when we behave the same way, and we ask God, God, don't you care about what's going on in my life? Don't you see what's happening in my life? It's not our finest moment either. But it happens. And we have times where we wonder if Jesus even cares. And sometimes, some of us, we don't even want to acknowledge that we've wondered that. Like we live in, uh, we don't want to admit our fear or our worry or our stress or our anger because we see those things as being contrary to what it means to be a Christian. And we're like, oh, I can't let anyone know that I have fear in my life. I, so we hide it and we stuff it down and then we feel shame for being weak, for having fear. But Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, 7. He said, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Listen, Jesus cares for you. And sometimes in the process of casting our anxieties on him, it can be hard. Like it can be ugly. It can be nasty. It can be uh, not all neat and tidy. Sometimes it's what my wife calls an ugly cry. When we cast our anxieties on the Lord, sometimes it's a plea of desperation. Sometimes uh, it's a long sigh of grief, but he cares for us. And so we cast our cares on the Lord because we know out of the promise that first Peter said that he cares for for us. He cares and he takes those cares and he wants us to cast our worries upon him because he cares. So we don't have to ask the question, 
Lord, don't you care about me? Because the reality and the truth is he absolutely 100% cares about you. The second question is this, why are you so afraid? This is the question that Jesus asked. And this is the hard question. Jesus wants his disciples to trust him. Jesus wants his disciples to have a faith and have this living and active faith. They want, he wants them to trust him. And so look at verses 39. It says again, it says, and he being Jesus awoke. So they woke him up. Jesus, don't you care about us? Wake up. And it says he woke up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, this is a really important question because Jesus, they just woke him up, and he immediately calms the seas. And the same way that he rebuked the demons in Mark chapter 1, he uses the exact same words to rebuke the wind. And he told the sea to be still, and a great calm came over the Sea of Galilee. And it was an awe-inspiring moment. It was a shocking moment for the disciples. The wind, and just a second before that, the wind was ripping. The seas were high. The boat was filled with water. And in one, in one phrase, be still, everything went calm just like that. Just like that. And the Prince of Peace showed up. And here's why Jesus asked the question. He's like, do you still not get it? Why did he say, do you still not get it? Because in the passages leading up to this, we see Jesus teaching parables to the crowds. But then he would gather the disciples that night around the fire. And he would say, now let me tell you what I was talking about. Let me explain to you the parable. And he would reveal to them word by word, fact by fact, about how powerful he was, how he was ushering in the kingdom of God, and what the kingdom of God would look like. He'd been telling them the behind the scenes. He'd been giving them the secrets all along, and they still didn't get it. And so he asks, why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? I've explained it to you, and you still don't get it. So he questions the disciples. He's like, I've been teaching you. I've been telling you all of the goodness and the greatness of who I am and why I'm here. And you still don't get it. They didn't have the faith that they needed in that moment. And they were still afraid and clearly they didn't yet know who exactly they were dealing with. Like they knew. They knew that Jesus was a prophet. They would compare him to Elijah and they would say, yeah, Jesus, you're like Elijah. So they thought he was a great prophet. They knew he was a miracle worker because they had seen him do miracles. But they still didn't quite grasp the greatness of who Jesus was. And it was important for Jesus. It was important for Jesus to have them, their fears dispelled and their faith strengthened by his presence and an identity because Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. And Jesus knew that when he left the earth and he brought the Holy Spirit, that these men would need supernatural faith to accomplish the mission that they had to tell the world about him. And so not only that, but he knew 
that the disciples would be opposed by their own families, by their own people, that they would be opposed by the Roman government, that they would be, uh, that they would be beaten and arrested and martyred for the gospel. He knew this. And he knew that for them to succeed, that they needed a big picture, a big view, the right view of who Jesus was. Jesus knew that they needed to know that he was much more than just a prophet, that they needed to know that he was the son of the living God. They needed to know that he was almighty and all powerful, and they needed to trust him. And so Jesus asked them the question, Dudes, why are you so afraid? Like, have you still no faith? Because this was the moment. This was a teachable moment. He loved them. And this wasn't some harsh rebuke, but it was a gentle opportunity designed to get them to realize just how big Jesus was. And let me tell you, there's some of us in the room today that we need to be reminded of just how big Jesus is. That when we face storms in our lives, we collapse and we find ourselves just like I on the storm in that boat, wanting to be in the corner of the room, curled up and dying. Like when the storms in our lives come, we want to be like that. We, Jesus, you've forgotten me. You, where are you? Don't you care about me? And we forget how big and awesome and amazing and supernatural and powerful and mighty Jesus really is. And if we knew that, we would have the faith to say, no matter what storm in life I'm facing, my rock Jesus is with me. Remember this too, like, not only does he kind of like give them this moment, but remember he said, hey, let's go to the other side. That's where he started this off. He said, hey, let's get, uh, y'all get in the boat with me and let's go to the other side. And, and now check out Mark chapter five, verse one. It says they came to the other side. So they made it to the other side. Jesus was resolute about getting to the other side. And, and the mission and the goal was to get to the other side. The mission and the goal was not to die in the middle. The mission and the goal was not to drown in the sea. Uh, the mission was to get to the other side. And, and Jesus' life was firmly aimed. Like the, Jesus knew that his goal was to rescue humanity. And Jesus knew that to rescue humanity, he was going to have to die on the cross. And so there was no way he was going to die in the Sea of Galilee because he wasn't finished. He was going to wait and he was going to die on the cross for all of our sins. And he was invincible, right? Like Jesus was invincible until his appointed hour on the cross. And they, the disciples, they would also be invincible as they carried out God's will for their lives. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he left these men with his spirit, and they were strengthened to face far worse situations than a storm in the middle of Sea of Galilee. They were beaten for their faith. They were arrested for their faith. They were persecuted, burned alive, burned at the stake, uh, uh, crucified on a cross, all for their faith in Jesus. But this word, this phrase, a cross to the other side, it should be a comfort to you and to me to know that Jesus has a purpose for our lives and we're going somewhere and he's not gonna let us uh, go until we accomplish his will for our lives. He even said, Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. He said, he said and, and though individual churches and denominations die and, and, and there are for sale signs in the front lawns of churches all around the world, 
It is usually the reason they died is because the church drifted from the confession that caused Jesus to tell Peter about the church's invincibility in the first place. Because what did, G- what did Peter say that caused Jesus to say, uh, on this I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Peter said these words. Peter confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. Peter knew who Jesus was. Peter understood the greatness of God, the power of God, the Almighty of God. And he had a high view of who Jesus was. And that confession, Jesus, you are the Son of God, was the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. And I believe that if you look at throughout history and you look at the evidence Uh, There is ample evidence that churches and denominations and movements that hold a high view of God and a high view of God's scripture, God's word, will get across to the other side. But the churches that don't have a high view of God and don't have a high view of scripture will not make it to the other side. I came out of one of those denominations that doesn't have a high view of God's word. And because they don't have a high view of God's word, they're dying on the vine. So church, we at Warehouse Church must have a high view of God and a high view of his word if we're going to make it to the other side. And look, we don't have any guarantees regarding how long each of us will live. But here's what I do know. I know that I know that I know that God has a purpose for every single person in this room. And he will not take you home to himself before your appointed time. Because here's what I've learned to believe that if you're still breathing, he has work to do in you. If you're still breathing, if you're still drawing breath, he has something for you to do. Whether you are young or old, it does not matter. He's got something for you to do. And once your work is done, he'll bring you home into his presence. Because that's what Philippians 1.6 says. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. So let's trust him. Let's trust Jesus in the midst of the storms of our lives. Let's remind ourselves that even though it feels like the boat's going down, even though it feels like the the waves are crashing over us, that there is an almighty, all-powerful God who is with us in the boat, who loves us and cares about us and wants nothing but the very best for you. And he may not calm the sea, but he will be with you through every minute of the storm. Or he may calm the sea. So we got to learn to trust him. We've got to learn to believe that when he began a good work in you, he will finish that work. The last question that he asked, the third one that the disciples asked, is this question, who is this? Jesus has calmed the storms, and the only thing that can come to the disciples' mind is who is this? You see, the disciples began to learn who Jesus really is. They begin to understand that there is more to Jesus than just being a prophet. There is more to Jesus than just being a miracle worker. There is more to Jesus than just being way maker. That this man brings life, brings uh, the dead back to life. That this man makes things happen that only God could do. Look at verse 41. It says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
Now, you've got to remember, this isn't the first time the disciples have witnessed Jesus performing a miracle. They've watched him cast out demons. They've watched him heal everything from a fever to leprosy. They've watched him restore people back to walking that were crippled. They've seen it all, and they were well accustomed to the miracles of Jesus. But this miracle shocked them. This miracle was different. And why was it different? It was different because it was in an altogether different category than healing and all different category than anything else that anyone had ever done. Because these men were Jewish and they had Jewish roots and they grew up knowing the Torah and they grew up knowing the Old Testament and the scriptures and they talk about it and they knew that it was only God who split the Red Sea. They knew that it was only God who, uh, who, who um, held back the waters of the Jordan River. They knew that it was only God that made the sea calm when they threw uh, um, Jonah overboard. They knew that it was only God who controlled the waters. This was bigger than a healing, and they knew it. This was God-sized stuff. This was big. This was huge and it shocked them. And out of their shock and awe, they said, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, Jesus did this on purpose. This miracle was a revelation to his disciples. They were starting to finally understand the greatness of Jesus. They're finally beginning to understand that Jesus is more than a prophet. He is actually the son of God. The dude taking a nap in the back of the boat, they're like, dude, you know who that is? That's God in flesh. And they would have gone back to an old psalm, and they would have remembered what it said in Psalm 107 when it said, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress, and he made the storm, what? Be still. And the waves of the sea were, what? Hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to the desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. You see, what? here's what happened. The disciples have seen God in the flesh. They seen God in the flesh and they cried out to the Lord when they were in trouble and they now needed to thank the Lord because they are understanding just how mighty he is. And just as the people in Psalm 107 and just as the disciples in Mark 4 needed to praise the Lord, you and I, we need to do the same. That in the midst of the storms of life, instead of saying, God, don't you care? We should be praising the Lord and saying, God, you are mighty. You are amazing. You are awesome. You are the son of God. Thank you, Lord, for being with me in the midst of this storm. Thank you for not leaving me. Thank you for not abandoning me. Thank you for strengthening me. Thank you for holding my hand. Thank you for wrapping your arms around me. Too often, I've met too many people that when things got rough, they left Jesus. They like abandoned the church. They're like, God didn't care about me. I'm out. I'm checking out. He wasn't there for me when this happened. He wasn't there for me when that happened. But here's the deal. God was with them every moment. The big and almighty and powerful son of God was right 
there with them in the boat, in the storms, holding their hand, wrapping his arms around him. So church, we need a bigger view of who Jesus is. We need to broaden our picture of Jesus. He's not some white, long-haired, hippie-looking dude with a robe on. He is the almighty, living Son of God. And in His majesty, we get to be His. Do you see the greatness of God? The next time you're in the midst of a storm, and here's what I know, you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm, right? The next time you find yourself wanting to say, God, don't you care? Come back to the reality that God cares about you. And he is so much bigger than your problems or your struggles. And he loves you and he's with you in the midst of the storm. You see, it's not so much about the storm as it is about who Jesus is while in the storm. You see that? It's not about us as much as it is about the greatness of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for for your word. God, I thank you that your word, I find encouragement, I find correction. God, I find that there are things that I've been doing and saying that were wrong and you correct me. Lord, I find comfort in your word that knowing that, that you are such an amazing, big, huge God who loves little old me. And Lord, you're with me. Even in the midst of the storms of life, you're with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. You're always with me. Lord, I pray that those of us in here that maybe feel like right now that God's abandoned us, that we would know that God never abandons us. He is so much bigger than our storm. And he'll be with us through it. He may not make it disappear, but he'll be there with you every step of the way. And may we draw on his strength. May we draw on his bigness. May we draw on his greatness. May we draw on his awesomeness for our strength. And Lord, if there's someone here today who does not have a relationship with you, who has never said yes to you, has never surrendered their life to you, Father, I pray that today would be the day. Today would be the day that they would say yes to you. Today would be the day that they would say, you know what, Lord, I've tried to live my life my way and it's not working out. And I, I no longer want to live my life without you. I want to live my life for you. And so I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior, to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to be the strength that I need in the midst of storms. Jesus, would you come and be my Lord and Savior today? Because here's what I know, church, that God loves you no matter what. And he forgives you and he sets you on a course 
is filled with hope and joy and purpose. So if that's you today, just invite him in. Just say something simple like, Jesus, I recognize that I don't have you in my life, but today I want to change that, and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Come now, forgive me of my sin, fill my life with hope, fill my life with joy, fill my life with purpose. I may not understand all of it, but I know this, I want you in my life today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're in the midst of a storm. I get that. I get that. But maybe today you just need to change your perspective and see how big God is and remember the promises that he's made in his word to never leave you, to never forsake you, to always be with you of tragedy and suffering and pain because here's what I know about God he brings dead things to life he brings joy to the hopeless he brings healing to the sick he makes a way when there was no way that's my God thank you Lord As we wrap up today, we want to finish out with a song and uh, sing together. This is a great song. Um, and uh, as we do, I want to invite you to come forward if you'd like to and spend time in prayer. And I just want you to know this. I've heard people say, well, I don't come forward because I don't want people to think that I'm a sinner or I'm lost. Or I, Nobody cares why you come up here. They really don't. Like, I just want you to know that you're welcome here. This is your home and this is your space. So don't worry about what other people think. If you need to come and spend time before the Lord confessing your sin, you come. If you need to come and surrender your life to the Lord, you come. If you need to come and say, thank you, Jesus, for being with me in the midst of my storms, you come. It doesn't matter why you come. Nobody cares. You just come and spend time with the Lord. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm right there on the front row. I'd be happy to. Or pull someone with you. Pull someone around that's around you. Say, hey, would you just come pray with me? And come and pray. And let this be a time for you and the Lord to be together. And so let's stand together and let's sing this song together. And if you want, you come and you pray.